0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Gambling. No, it's not just the only thing you see advertised during sporting matches. No, this week on Download This Show, we're talking about whether the buying and trading of digital cryptocurrencies, so things like Bitcoin, should it be classed as a form of gambling because there are some politicians overseas advocating for exactly that plus elon musk the billionaire has unveiled his army of humanoid robots a sentence equal parts absurd and accurate and also guess which u.s state has banned and is now being sued by the video sharing service tiktok let's find out this is your guide to the week in media technology and culture my name is mark Fennell, and welcome to download this show Yes, indeed. It is a brand new episode of Download the Show. Our guest this week, it's been far too long, Alex Kidman. Welcome back. Nice to be here again. Alex Kidman is a technology reporter and one of the co-hosts of the Vertical Hold podcast. And alongside Alex, we have Natasha Dilzo, our production lead with South by Southwest Sydney. Hey. Welcome back. Thank you. Here's a phrase I didn't expect to say this morning. The US (laughs) state of Montana is being sued by the creators of
2: TikTok. I don't, can, I get that, can I get that right? You did, you did. It's it's an unusual sentence to have to say, but we live in somewhat unusual times. I suppose it's not that unusual. I mean, the standard mo for pretty much any business in the state, in in the US a government entity of any sort does anything they don't like is engage the lawyer bot it's
1: a very american solution to a problem so uh, exactly what is it that uh that they're suing over what's happened
2: so montana last week indicated that they were going to enact a law taking effect from next year that would make it illegal to offer the tiktok app to anyone living in the state of montana and uh, TikTok owners, ByteDance, not surprisingly, didn't really see that as a positive step. So we, we've obviously
1: seen, Natasha, a bunch of issues where government agencies have said, hey, if you don't put TikTok on your on your government-owned phone, we've seen a bit of that out. But this Montana move seems like a, like a significant escalation in the relationship between TikTok and, oh, I don't know, everyone else. Why is it that Montana decided to do this in the first place? What was the reasoning they put up?
0: Basically protecting Montana citizens. So the example that you gave there of uh, government agencies asking their employees to not have TikTok on their phone is like, well, when you're in the role of this this job um there's certain like behaviors and actions that you need to take to make sure you can do the job properly this is different because this is affecting every single person in montana whether or not they hold like a special role in government or not montana as a state were influenced by a lot of the hearings that have happened in u.s congress where we've heard from like you know the bite dance ceo and a whole bunch of congressmen and women um go head to head about whether or not the app is safe um how the app handles user data how it deals with privacy and montana have responded to that being like well you know we don't think that this is safe for for our citizens so
1: i'm not gonna lie in the mm, sort of one month i've actually been investing in putting stuff up on tiktok i do feel like i've become dumber but i don't know that i would legislate against that alex so is there any validity to their arguments do you think
2: Look, there could be, and this just gets back to that whole thing about why governments have said don't have TikTok on your government-owned phone. This issue over potential Chinese state interference in the app or harvesting of data is, is genuinely problematic. And TikTok themselves came out with a survey about a month ago trying to defend themselves essentially by saying, well, look at Facebook. Facebook do terrible, terrible data collection stuff and we're only slightly worse than they are. Now, I don't know that that's a great argument to go in with the thing is, this is also performative politics mm. because one of the big things with with this particular law that stood out for me was it's going to be illegal to provide access to download TikTok, but it's not actually going to be illegal to have it on your phone. So literally, step across state lines, download it, step back across state lines, you're golden. And I, and it's not really clear how they're going to deal with people using like virtual private networks, VPN software, to just geododge anyway.
1: Let's talk about the practicalities, Tasha. Like how would you go about actually enforcing this? Is it enforceable? Like can you can the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store can it not have certain apps available from state to state? Is that is that an option?
0: I, I think I think so. I mean I think it would just take, you know, cooperation between the state and Apple and Google predominantly as the main kind of like App Store providers. Like I'm not an engineer, but I'm sure there's a way to kind of like map out like block if you release an app onto you tend to release it onto like the US yeah. app store, the Australian app store. So I'm not sure about this state by state thing. But billing? country by country, much easier, but state by state, I I don't know. Well, Maybe we the, know.
1: Your billing address of your of your account, they might be able to manage it. I don't know.
2: Yeah, the difficult thing that you get into there is, is the way ISPs actually manage their traffic. And yes, for some IP address ranges, you could probably say, right, well, that one's definitely in Montana, therefore, no. They've never really demonstrated that beyond, as you were saying, beyond a kind of country level where certain apps are not necessarily available. I suppose that's part of the reason why Montana has said, look, this is next year's law, not straight away blanket ban, because that gives them time to work out the logistics and practicalities. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, so what's the argument that TikTok are putting up as to why they think this, this shouldn't be allowed, Alex?
2: So they are arguing that it is an abrogation of US First Amendment rights, the right to free speech. And, I mean, based on... I'm not a lawyer, to be very, very clear, but based on prior precedent, they've probably got a pretty good case. The US courts tend to side on the idea that the government should not impinge upon free speech where it's not, you know actually dangerous. So it might be dangerous to yell fire on TikTok, but it's probably not dangerous for TikTok to exist in the state of Montana. But obviously that also remains to be said. And they've also come in with their standard rhetoric, basically saying, look, again, you know, we're, we're only a little bit worse than Facebook in effect.
1: I guess it kind of comes down a little bit, Natasha, to the, the concept, to the, the way in which the law recognises social media. Is it a platform or is it in and of itself a act of free speech?
0: I do. I do think that the the legal argument is going to be a little strange here, but I think that I thought it was going to be some kind of like anti-competitive business thing, but no, it is actually a constitutional like argument that they're going to make. And I think TikTok is going to argue that like we provide a forum for free speech. And if you shut that down, you're breaching the people who are on our platform, like their right to kind of express themselves. It seems a bit weird to me.
2: They do make the argument – putting on my devil's advocate hat for a minute here – they do make the argument that uh, while they have a majority Chinese, they're, they're, sorry, a significant Chinese investor. They're actually largely held by like global investment firms. This doesn't get past some of the issues around potential Chinese interference or potential Chinese law in terms of where some of their data may or may not be that, that stored. Was, that yeah. was
0: the, the deliberate result of realising that they could mm. get banned from the US so they really quickly started to set up satellite companies in America, China. in Australia because they realised we need to get a whole bunch of global leaders who are not Chinese so that we have licence to operate globally. So where we're at now is like a result of deliberate efforts by TikTok too. and it kind of in a sad way, I would love a different perspective. But like, be seen as less of a Chinese company, so that they would be able to operate in a whole bunch of different companies, despite the fact that it is a Chinese company. Like at the end of the day, um, but yeah, complex Chinese and global. Do you know what I'm saying, Mark? Yeah, I do. And yeah. I think it's
1: sorry, my face is like processing it. I'm doing my. This is my process yeah, face, yeah. which you can't see in the podcast. I think the thing I always come back to with with any story about TikTok is is sort of the question mark of how much baggage are we attaching to it because of the fact that it's a Chinese company and would we provide the same lens were it a European company or an American company, which I guess sort of comes back to their argument of the, you know, my new favourite T-shirt, not quite as bad as Facebook. There's a little part of me that's always trying to weigh up, well, how much of this is just like straight up and down xenophobia and how much of it is a legitimate concern over really opaque access that we know that the Chinese government has to a lot of tech companies based out of China and where is the reasonable
2: line for us to land, Alex? Well, I think if there's a if there's a healthy side of any of this, it's that the kind of focus we're putting on TikTok, we should be putting on everyone. Mm. We absolutely should be saying, "Hey, what is this data? What are our data rights? Where we are or globally" What kind of control should these companies have over that data? And, of course, all of these companies will fight back against any control because it cuts in on their revenue and their advertising and their business model. That is a fight I think we need to have. And if there's a silver lining, it's that TikTok is making that a bit more apparent, is bringing that more to the fore, is making people think a bit more about what they share on social media and why. I've had a TikTok account for ages and I've not done anything with it, right? So just as a bit of an experiment,
1: I've been taking old interviews that I've done, because I had nine years of interviewing people on, on the feed. Now that the feed ended in, in 2022, I've just been posting little kind of two, three minute clips of it, of interviews with famous people that I've done over the years. And the comments are overwhelmingly from America and they're wild. Like I posted a clip of Mark Ruffalo, an interview that he did, he talked about having a a tumour in his head and literally there are over a thousand comments debating the US healthcare system and the existence of God. I've I've been online my entire life and the level of like, fervent insanity attached to tiktok comments blows twitter out of the water i don't quite know what it is about the platform but it just feels like it, like people talk about twitter being accessible and it is but i feel like the level of zero to a hundred rage on tiktok comments it's and about And if I was putting up like really spicy content, I think I'd be ready to accept it. I've seen
0: these clips, Mark. They're like these really measured interviews (laughs) with common people. (laughs) The
2: The internet can always build a better cesspool. That's the (laughs) ending. I I guess the the reason I bring it up is because
1: it's a reminder that the nature of the platform does shape the interactions, right? Twitter, you know, rewards a fast Twitch muscle response. Like, whatever the, the snarkiest response is kind of... Or, or the fastest response to a news event kind of wins. What I hadn't quite... Instagram
0: expect- rewards, like, beautiful faces. Exactly. Like, it's just, like, it's it's what is rewarded on the platform. And if you have a beautiful face, and, like, even if you are many other things, like, you will do well, quote-unquote, on Instagram, yeah.
1: But I guess the... the- what I, I think I ha- wasn't prepared for was that there was an asymmetrical response to the
0: content right. on TikTok. Right. You're like, there's actually a disconnect here. But that disconnect, I think, speaks to the disconnect between, like, the Montana ban, the lawsuit that's being lodged, and then there's actually a really great New York-based content creator called Matt Bouchel who did this, like, about the Congress hearings between TikTok and the tech executives. Basically, Matt Bouchel was kind of making the comment, like, he's like, there's just this disconnect happening when, you know, the Congress people
1: often have no clue what they're talking about. For like sure, none at all. right?
0: But it's like you speaking to the fact of this kind of like really asymmetrical response to you posting like a Mark Ruffalo clip from five years ago, the comments that happen, how Montana is involved in this story, how TikTok are responding, the type of lawsuit that they're launching, and then initially how the conversations were happening between like TikTok and Congress. And it like disconnect would be the word that I would like, be like, that to me crystallises so much of these interactions and clashes where it's like, what even is the clash? Like, what is the fight about?
1: I think because I'm late to TikTok, it stood out to me because I got on Facebook and Twitter quite early by virtue of what I do for a living. But t- because I'm quite late to TikTok, it was like being dumped in it. I was like, oh,
2: this, this is different, Alex. I don't know if anybody else has ever had that experience. See, I, I tend to think, for better or worse, that so- most social media is junk food. We know it's not particularly good for us, but it has those addictive hits of whatever it is that you're after. So Facebook is generally older generations and there's a certain kind of quantity of interpersonal connection there, I think, that people build up on that platform where TikTok and Instagram and Twitter are a bit more broadcast. And definitely, as you were saying, they're much more that instantaneous reaction thing, whether or not you think, ah, that's a pretty face or, oh, that's a terrible opinion or, wow, that's an amazing video of a cat dancing. But it's that that instant sugar hit kind of thing. And you just, you get that level of, addiction, it might not pass the absolute sniff test to be a proper addiction, but you get that level of effective addiction to that content, to not wanting to disengage with it, which is where their algorithms for working out right. Well, you spent ages watching that cat video, therefore everyone else who's making a cat video will push those to the top of your feed and maybe the people telling you how to fix your car to the bottom.
1: Mm. It's podiatry corn removal videos, apparently is my, my most recent uh, addiction, thanks to the algorithm. And I don't know why I said that out loud on national radio. Download this show is what you're listening to what is your guide to the week in media, technology, culture, and weird things that Mark probably shouldn't say out loud? Now, should we treat cryptocurrency as a form of gambling? That
2: is what a politician in the UK has argued. Alex, why have they argued that? because some of the markers around the way people deal with cryptocurrency or invest in cryptocurrency do match up with some of the habits of gamblers in terms of chasing losses, in terms of getting addicted to the numbers. Uh, That being said, I've got to say, I don't think regulating it as gambling is actually the solution to the problem.
1: Well, I guess if you're going to declare it as a form of gambling, Natasha, I mean... How much more or less is it gambling than, say, investing in the stock market or money markets? I mean, I, the, I guess the defining feature is how wildly up and down cryptocurrency markets can be. Like, it's, you know, you look at those numbers and they go way high and way low and it, it has a very Wild westy quality to it. But is it necessarily inherently more risky than some, sort of investing in money markets and investing in the, stock, in the share
0: market? This was like a topic that I really was like, trying to think of all the different perspectives. You know, we've spoken about crypto on the show before. We've heard Warren Buffett call crypto rat poison. In that view, rat poison gambling. In in other views, different views, right? I feel like what these MPs are kind of speaking to is like probably the human effects of cryptocurrency. And actually something that I was thinking about before the show is like we have to understand how much of a marketing and advertising push that crypto has done in the last few years. I mean, like so much money has been poured into making this thing be seen as more legitimate than it is. We're talking like sports stadiums, crypto.com. We're talking outreach to influencers because we know that people see celebrities as credible people to talk about a whole range of things outside of what their actual talent is. So where we're at in the sort of cycle of crypto outside of the volatility of actual like the value of bitcoin we're actually in a different point in the cycle of like how much the marketing and advertising industry has like legitimized it and i was just thinking about it and i was like where this is like it's it's at a really interesting point in time. But yeah, I've been in conversations with people who have said we target people deliberately on Facebook and Instagram that we know have gambling problems with crypto ads because they're more likely to flip than others. Probably what these British MPs are speaking to is that there's a certain segments of society that have been affected and blasted the last few years with crypto-specific advertising. They've lost a lot of money. They've been sorely affected by that. And this is a response to be like, maybe we need to to be seen as gambling so people understand how serious it is and how bad it is but there's a bigger context within which this is happening there's still human beings in this industry right and i think people then probably like come out the other side of it and there's probably former crypto advocates who then want to reform the industry or do positive things for it but um i think that it's important to consider the context within when this is now happening
2: and we
1: should also point out that this week there's been some news, and with one of the biggest cryptocurrencies, uh, Binance, with uh, limitations on whether or not you can pull your cryptocurrency out of that universe and turn it to like normal you know, Australian dollars or Yuan or whatever. Um, so there's obviously issues that are bubbling away there, but. Perhaps it is wise, Alex, to store, to you know to look at it on on a legal and financial level on one hand, but then also look at the effect it has on us as humans as well, Alex. So I think you
2: can do both. Um the issue that I've got with the UK approach is that the same MPs have basically said we don't want to regulate it as a financial instrument on the grounds that we feel that that will add legitimacy to it, whereas if we regulate it as a gambling instrument, we're saying to people this is risky. I think you can educate people to say these are incredibly risky investments while still having that legal bedrock to say, and if you're going to trade in these things or offer advice in these things or advertise these things, you have to hold financial licences or pass certain tests or there are legal protections in place. I, I think you can have both. Saying this is gambling, not finance, I think swings that focus in a very, very specific way that ignores the financial underpinnings that many people are associating with it. And also, I think kind of applies a gambling lens to it where people tend to think of gambling as this horse is gonna win or that team's gonna score a goal first. Is
1: that any different to this Dogecoin is gonna win? The, yeah. You know, like is it is it that different?
0: I'm I'm wondering, like, I, I'm wondering whether the lens is like. Again, they would like need more research, but it's like, I wonder if people who are buying and trading cryptocurrencies, let's take it from like the least sophisticated investor and the most vulnerable mm. consumer all the way up to someone who like is running a fund and is allocating 3% of their capital towards cryptocurrencies and like there's a huge amount of difference between those two people, right? I wonder if like it's not, to me it wouldn't be news that cryptocurrency is risky or gambling-like. Like do you, do you think that it would really change? Well, would they be like but maybe maybe that maybe it is a powerful it's a different powerful lens i don't know i think
1: the people that are long term crypto investors they tend to have a baseline level of confidence in their own ability to see and read the future now sometimes that sometimes that's warranted Because they've had, you know, past success is not always an indicator of future success, but sometimes it is. And sometimes, you know, and and I also think there's a one other consistent thing I've noticed with talking to a lot of crypto people is a sort of nihilism, like we're going to win some, we're going to lose some. Does anyone, like, have you ever, you, Alex, if, does that ring true to you for people that you know?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I know some very prominent crypto people yeah. who, who who are absolutely fit that to a T. But, uh, I mean, I think the thing there is you could say the same thing about people who, who, who are stock market traders. Yeah. Their, their perspective is, yeah, look, I can absolutely pick where this stock is going to go. Those things are regulated as financial instruments and that is where I think again, we just we, we just come back to. I think you can probably assist people who have issues with it, but not necessarily in a way where you say this particular part of a financial market is gambling when all the rest of it isn't.
0: I spoke to a friend who's a legal academic and she was writing about cryptocurrencies and um, <laughs> it was interesting where she started and where she ended and kind of she started being like, we should like basically looking into how to regulate cryptocurrency and where she ended is she's like i think it should be banned <laughs> just straight up like and she's like i'm not sure if i can really write it but she's like so that's like i guess like from the like legal academic lens uh, having spent it's a particular view but she was like i just think it straight up should be banned
1: i, I also i think one of the i mean we we're talking about regulation as being a sort of a uh, a monolithic piece of, you know, paste that you can lay over totally. top of it. Uh, in, in actual fact, regulation is, it's much more a conversation about how you regulate and and, and what regulation... What are you regulating? Yeah, like, is this regulating? kind of like
0: an age limit? Like, you have to be 30 plus to like, or is this like, like, what kind of, yeah. what even yeah. other rules? Is it these, you know, need to have, you know registered before you create a cryptocurrency? It, what, like, what does it even mean here?
1: Yeah. And it's worth pointing out, this was a, this, these were some comments that came out of a, a committee in the UK, the actual treasury in the UK. is like, no, we're not going to treat it like gambling. So this is the brain fart of a person who wanders their way through the Houses of Parliament. But I think it's, it's worthwhile as a discussion because at the heart, I guess, of this show is an acknowledgement that technology is not just a thing that happens it's a thing that happens to us and it and the way this as these um cryptocurrencies become more common and certainly become more prominent as you mentioned there's now stadiums named after uh, trading houses i think there's a recognition that this is kind of new and the way we interact with it is kind of new and i think it's important to kind of articulate how is that changing us and it is different to gambling and it is different to the stock market but how and and are we sort of prepared for for what comes next alex
2: Look, I'm not sure that we are, but this also speaks to a classic technology problem, which is that regulation is always playing catch-up. I mean, I've been a tech journalist for 25-plus years and I started at a point where regulators were looking to break up Microsoft. And over the years, I don't think there's been a... Six month period where there hasn't been some kind of we must regulate, we must control this for the good of businesses, for the good of consumers, for the good of uh, competition. This is the latest in a long line of them. And it is, but you're right, it is a market which has moved, even though it's been with us now for some time. It is a market which moves with astonishing speed, and that creates particular regulatory challenges.
1: Very quickly before I leave, we cannot exit this episode of Download This Show without talking about the robots nat uh (laughs) tesla have robots now and that seems like alarming news to me
0: (laughs) natasha basically what the story is is that tesla have come out with a new model and it is like a humanoid looking robot we know that recently ai has been in the news a lot because of it taking creative jobs this is not one of those examples this is an example of a robot that has been trained to do quite menial tasks but you can put this in the it's more looks It, scarier than it actually
1: looks is. scarier than it actually is. It looks scarier than
0: it actually is, hundred percent. And <laughs> this robot can't self-defend itself. Could actually like push it over. But I feel like apparently robots are scarier when they can like fight back essentially. And this particular model from Tesla can't
2: humanoid robots though are always more terrifying especially when they're just slightly off human i mean yeah. there's there are people researching getting humanoid robots to blink properly not because they need to blink or moisten their eyes just to make but because, feel more yes because people get freaked out because robots don't blink
1: <laughs> these ones don't even have faces like if you if you happen to be near a computer or phone right now it's worth googling it's like a one minute video clip and it ends with a like a them in sort of like you know platoon formation gradually not at all forebodingly walking towards the camera Black faces are kind of like, <laughs> like it's star wars it's Battlestar galactica they look like stormtroopers i'd like they look like it's it's all of the things right and i'm just like you you're deciding like we're gonna get attention for this and when people are going to talk about it but is it the right kind of attention
2: i think so i think so in that what tesla what i think tesla's really trying to do here is two things one they're developing this stuff because it can help them with some of their other ventures. So the AI that underlies this robots, they've said, is the same AI that runs their cars. Now, let's ignore the crashes and focus <laughs> on the fact that their AI can manoeuvre around roads, at least at a rudimentary level. Mm. So there's that. But equally, they're trying effectively to become the next Apple. They're trying to diversify the Tesla brand to say, this isn't just a car that you buy. It could be a robot. It could be a motorbike. It could be a lawnmower. It could be all these other things, which is why Musk's come out and said, look, this is for, you know, this is for doing your gardening because that's a boring repetitive task. Some people love gardening, of course, but uh, I'm not one of them. How, so like, I would have how, one of these robots how, how
0: is this example like this model of robot like an Apple analogue?
2: Because Apple is a diversified business. The point is the brand is what sells Apple stuff.
0: Do you mean in the same way that Apple has like different hardware outside exactly, like so. the OG oh, products? Okay. I, exactly. I you're, you're suggesting right. that, yeah. that yeah, yeah. this robot is kind of an example of diversification of the different like technology products that Tesla sells?
2: That Tesla could sell could in the sell. future. Okay. It's, it's 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 setting themselves up to be more of a lifestyle brand than they already are. I, I don't know about lifestyle brand, but I, <laughs> but I, I take your point. It's a, it's a step on the journey. Yeah, I, I take They're your not point. There yet. Don't um, I
1: take your point that it shows that they can do more than just have, you know, a despotic leader and nice gas. Whenever something like this happens with Tesla, and I, and I suppose also Boston Dynamics is the other one that's probably worth mentioning here, is um, a company that makes very alarming and impressive looking robots. We
0: also have a local company called Sabre Astronautics. Hmm who are kind of in the Boston Dynamics like, level, ah. they're in the echelon of very good anthropomorphized robots. Did they put out a creepy YouTube video that I no, should avoid? No, they're kind of like lower key, okay. but like, yeah.
1: See, that's reading the room right on them. Um, I guess the question is, um, whenever something like this comes out, my biggest thought is like, what's the bad news story that they're trying to haze with this release of a YouTube video? Is that just too cynical of me?
2: I don't know that uh, that Elon Musk kind of thinks that way. I think he's I think he's permanently wired to. I just want the attention, no matter what. <laughs> Undeniably, they they have staged this video in a very specific kind of way. We're not seeing the robots catching fire. We're not seeing the robots reaching for the uh, for the pl- plasma rifle like they're not meant to. But. Um, but it's still just a case of, look at us, because this was for a, a Tesla investor day. It's, look at us, aren't we impressive? Please keep pumping that share price up. And Elon Musk, I mean, there's all sorts of things I could say about Elon Musk, many of them non-broadcastable, but uh, but he's very, very good at that marketing and generating hype thing, and that's what this has done.
1: All right. I think, uh, I think I'm going to go rock in the corner, uh, backwards and forwards in a fetal position as I prepare for the dystopian uh, ending that is befalling us all. Which is usually my cue to wrap up the show. Uh, Natasha Gillespie, thank you so much for joining us again on Download This Show.
0: Thank you for having me, Mark.
1: And Alex Kidman, thank you so much. My pleasure. Uh, And Of course, if you've enjoyed Alex's voice, you should check out Alex's podcast, Vertical Hold. Uh, And with that, I shall leave you. My name is Mark Fennell. Uh, If you need me, I'll be the one on the corner rocking backwards and forwards. Thank you for listening to another episode of Download This Show.